Well, we are back. And my name is Bethany Allen, and I'm one of the leaders here at Bridgetown. If you missed any of our transition podcast, I'd invite you to go back and listen to it, as so much of what we covered there is integral to best understanding grief and loss, particularly for our moment. Now, for time's sake, we're going to just jump right in. But before we get to the content, a few thoughts. First, I want to be clear in saying that I am not a therapist, nor the daughter of a therapist, nor am I an expert on grief and loss. It's something I've studied and have walked through myself, but I am no expert, and I know the dangers of assuming expertise. The hope I have here is simply to provide some language and helpful identification to the current moment and experience so many of us are having. My dream is that we would come out of this space more transformed and more integrated, and agents in the kingdom of God. Next, I think it's healthy for us to acknowledge that so many of us are currently in a shift, a shift from shock to grief. As I talked about on the last podcast, adrenaline for most is settling, and we now have an opportunity to begin to process what has and is happening. There is a measure of acceptance, I think happening really for us communally or even globally. Uh, We are accepting that the world as we knew it is no longer here, that our lives as we knew them have and will continue to change. We know that there is at some level no stopping the ever-changing unknown landscape before us. And so it is in the accepting of this reality that many of us are and will begin to acknowledge and feel the loss that we are experiencing. I also think it's helpful to remind ourselves and others that grief is personal that it's unique to every person as it's being filtered through unique family of origin stories or experiences or past traumas. Significant and sudden changes impact everyone differently. The spectrum is wide. So for some, it's going to look a lot like irritability and sadness and tears. And for others, it will look more like silence and isolation and withdrawal. It's an ever-widening spectrum. Now, while we're looking at some of this At a deeper level, I think it's just important, and I want to be able to say this, that you keep acknowledging to yourself, and maybe if you have some people around you, to those people, or even to the children in your life, that this is complex, that grief by its nature is multifaceted. And again, we'll talk about that a bit in a second. I also think it's helpful to remind ourselves and others that grief is personal. It's unique to every person as it's being filtered through unique origin stories, unique family experiences, and past trauma. Significant and sudden changes impact everyone differently. The spectrum is wide. For some, it looks like irritability. Others, it looks like sadness and tears. Others, withdrawal and silence and isolation, and so on and so forth. While we're looking at some of this uh, grief and loss at a deeper level, it's going to be important to keep acknowledging that reality to yourself and even to those around you. Grief is complex in its nature, and of course we'll talk about that a bit more in a second. But the goal here is to welcome it, and to do that you will need to welcome a deep sense of grace as well for yourself and other people. Healthy grief demands gentleness. So just as a reminder, be sure you are gentle with yourself and others uh, through this podcast as you're listening to it and in the days ahead. Now, finally, I want to say that grief always means the ending of something. But endings also mean new beginnings. Uh, 
So while it will be important to focus on your present grief, there is still room in this conversation to consider new dreams, greater healings and freedom and new experiences. Certainly many of us are not there yet, but in the kingdom, our future and our destinies are thankfully malleable, or better said, redeemable, which means that out of our ashes can come beauty, that from the evil we experience can come good. So it's okay and even sometimes necessary, especially in this specific conversation, to stay open and to lean into hope despite our present pain. Now, with all of that said, let's jump in. To start, we're going to define grief and loss. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines grief as a deep and poignant distress caused by or as if bereavement. Its origins are from the word gref, denoting injustice or calamity, and from the Latin word grevis or gravis, meaning heavy. Now, with all of that said, let's jump in. We're going to start by defining the term grief. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines grief as a deep and poignant distress caused by or as if by bereavement. It origins from the word gref, denoting injustice or calamity, and from the Latin word grevis or gravis, meaning heavy. In essence, grief could be described as a heavy, calamitous injustice to our souls. Someone I recently read said grief is emotional and every other definition is up for debate. And I think, in so many ways, that is true. Grief and loss are both complex on multiple levels. In it, systems of relating to God and others and self are broken, and weaknesses and failings are exposed. The human condition is emphasized, and it's complex. Now, grief and loss are both intrinsic to the human experience, which means it is and will always be personal and relational and a communal experience. In grief and loss, pain becomes both your information about life and the formation of your soul, which leaves lots of room for a better or worse situation. In the kingdom of God, and specifically here at Bridgetown, we're making it our ambition in this space as we are working through grief and loss to see this as an opportunity, not as a threat. So that's why I think it's important that we're having this conversation uh, to begin to move towards a place of embracing what we're experiencing by way of grief and loss and doing so in the hopes of transformation. Now, one more thing to mention before we move on. Grief and loss um, are significant, particularly for this moment, because I believe what we're experiencing is, much like in transitions, a compounded experience of grief and loss. So think of it this way. Uh, you had grief and loss probably going on at some level within yourself prior to this pandemic. Um, and it was stuff hopefully you were working through. And then pandemic hits. And in that, there's now a compounded reality to what you're trying to process. So I say that to say that if it's been hard to access emotions of grief and loss, loss, that's probably because you're in a bit of a compounded reality. I think about my friend who last week lost her grandmother to COVID-19 and the grief she's experiencing, and I've gotten to walk with her a bit through that. 
um, it's been unique in that her grief uh, is for the loss of her grandmother. But it's also because of COVID-19, a grief she's experiencing in regards to her grandfather, who she can't see, her mother, who she can't hug, and other family members she would normally have the opportunity to process with. This has been extraordinary to watch and reminds, is reminding me that we are in a compounded reality in regards to our experience. So as you consider what we're talking about here today, just keep in your mind that there is a compounded reality to grief and loss that we are experiencing together. And if it feels complex, it is. Now, again, some of the main ways we are impacted by grief and loss is personally, relationally, and communally. So I want to take a minute just to look more in depth at each of these. Um, And as we do this, just as an aside, you may want to consider for yourself how this might connect to you in this particular moment. That's not prescriptive. It's simply an invitation to consider what's being offered and to almost plot yourself, if you will, in this experience. Again, some of the main ways we are impacted by grief and loss is personally, relationally, and communally. So let's take a minute to look more in depth at each of these. Grief is personal which means that we have to consider what that will mean for each of us uniquely. And in doing that, I think it's best to start with our temperament or our personality, because both will contribute significantly to what grief and loss will look like for us as individuals. When you think about temperament and personality, you should be thinking about things like uh, expression. Are you an expressive person? And how do you express yourself? How have you in the past? And how do you now? You should be thinking about things uh, in regards to your communication style. Are you verbal or are you nonverbal? Are you internal or external, extroverted or introverted? Do you lean towards life being uh, seen through a more positive perspective or a negative one, half glass full or half glass empty? You are considering things like your Myers-Briggs and what that's like when you're quote unquote in the grip. You're thinking through things like your disintegrated self or your shadow side to the Enneagram. Those kind of things are going to reflect for you a bit about who you are in the space of grief and loss. Also, if grief and loss is personal, then you have to consider how your family of origin or your history contributes to that reality. In the space of grief and loss, when it comes to the context of your family, what was encouraged, what was accepted, what was rejected as an expression of grief and loss? Did you have space to process or even have emotions? Was there limited emotional space? Next, if grief is personal, then you have to consider your history or your family of origin. In the space of grief and loss, what was encouraged and accepted? What was rejected? Did you have space to process and even have emotions? Was there limited emotional space in your home or in your family dynamic? Did you have parents who didn't know how to regulate or embrace emotions? These are all really significant questions in understanding your experience with grief. Now, just a quick note for those of you who have uh, children in your life. Um, The way you do or don't process and embrace grief and loss is informing how they will process uh, grief and loss and embrace their own. Now, this is just an aside. Of course, hopefully this isn't a threatening thing to hear or something to fear. It's simply just something to acknowledge. 
There is no way uh, that any of us could entirely shield anyone, including our children, from needing to unwork certain narratives uh, in regards to their experience with us, no matter how good of a parent or person we are. So I say this just to say, be mindful of your process or lack thereof when it comes to grief. Now, finally, you have to consider how your trauma um, is impacting your uh, personal grief process. You have to consider things like your survival mechanisms, when or how you dissociate in certain situations, the impulsive behaviors you gravitate towards in traumatic situations, your social withdrawal or over-inclusion, your sense of a loss of safety, whether that's emotional or relational. These things are significant to consider as you frame your grief in a personal way. Next, grief is relational. Uh, Now, there are three significant areas of impact uh, when it comes to the relational dynamic. And the first uh, is that of the loss of a role. So when one is impacted by grief, where they're hit the most in the relational dynamic is in the loss of a role. So whether that be a friend, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a confidant, a pastor, a leader, your loss of role in a grief situation is very significant. I think about my friends who have lost jobs uh, to which their identity was deeply tied to that. It's been a significant area of grief and a very disorienting space for them. Uh, Next, uh, in the relational realm, many lose a loss of safety. Uh, This is because trust is broken, uh, relationships are severed, and people are lost. And so there's grief there. I think about this specific moment, our loss of safety, when it comes to being in contact with one another, is significant in this moment, and there's grief for us to process. Finally, there is a loss of confidence, and I don't mean in how you look or how you express yourself, though that I assume that could be part of it. Uh, in regards to grief being relational, there's a loss of confidence because there's usually a loss of relational equity. Uh, so where there was a relationship before, prior to death or absence or touch points, whatever it may be, uh, it, that now being gone creates a deficit in confidence, confidence to relate or to engage or to show up or give to other people. And you can see how this element of grief would be significant uh, to the human condition. Finally, grief, I would say, is communal. And in that, uh, there is a loss of identity to process in this space. Who are we? Who am I now in light of what has happened to me or what I have lost or who I have lost? This is a very significant part of the process. Grief is also communal in that you lose at some level in it uh, a way of relating. So how something functioned before no longer functions that way. And in that, there's a loss and understanding of how you are to relate and communicate with other people. It's also communal in that grief often impacts support systems. So structures that were there are now changed and have shifted. There's also a loss of worldview when grief impacts your life, the way you view God and other people. Relational safety begins to shift at a communal or community level, and that again impacts the way that you're processing what's happening. 
There's also a loss of past and future when we think about grief as communal. Dreams are shattered. What wasn't and what was no longer exist. And this is a significant part of how we process what's happening, not just individually, but collectively. Now, by nature, and as you can see, simply by its effects relationally and communally, grief and loss are very disruptive. And this is so because I would say of four things or four realities about grief and loss. First, I'd say that grief is always untimely. Uh, There's never a good time for grief. And uh, there's a compounded reality to what you are experiencing now when things are untimely. And that is disorienting, to say the least, as well as disruptive to how you're processing your present experiences of life and connection with other people. I'd also say that grief is unexpected. Uh, Most of the time, you can't plan for it. It's usually sudden. And so it comes out of nowhere, and there's no way to guard or protect yourself or to know how to prepare. And in that, there's a massive disruption to how you are thinking and feeling and relating. It's also not linear, which impacts you in ways that you wouldn't expect. You know, it never comes perfectly in a formulaic uh, way. And so your experience with it will be uh, unique. Um, It's also unnatural. And this is where we would just uh, quickly say a word about the fall that took place in the garden, sin entering into humanity. Loss wasn't a part of God's good world, nor was it part of his good plan. So if grief to you feels unnatural, it should, uh, because you weren't built for it. You weren't built to experience death or separation or loss of relationship and intimacy. And because grief is unnatural, it means there will be a massive sense of disorientation and exhaustion and isolation. And I know that even some of you I've talked to over the past few weeks have been feeling this in very, very profound ways. Uh, Finally, I'd say that grief is unruly. It is always changing. Anne Lamott, in her book, Traveling Mercies, said that grief, as I read somewhere once, is a lazy Susan. One day it is heavy and underwater, and the next day it spins and stops at out loud and rageful. And the next day, a wounded keening, and the next day, numbness and silence. Grief is unruly, largely because it's layered. It is like a lazy Susan. There are times when you have access to it and times when you don't. And often, because of its unruliness, you don't recognize the loss you're experiencing until you keep moving forward and walk through life. For me, it looks like not being able to pull a certain memory because someone wasn't there to experience it. I think about my grandmother who passed away 12 years ago, and how I don't know what I'm still grieving until I try to access a memory of her knowing something about my life now, and that memory doesn't exist. Grief is so bizarre that way and that it's layered, and it's never always present to just one moment. It is present to multiple moments over a lifetime. Uh, grief is also unruly because it's complex. Um, there is... Uh, Lots of things to say about that, but I will just say that death or that grief uh, keeps going and it's evolving. I think about when people lose a parent, so they they practice present, uh, they practice presently grieving the loss of a parent, um, and they do that at the funeral and in the moment what they have lost uh, right then and there. But then I think about the grief that will come the the day that they get married and their parent isn't there or the day that a baby is born and that baby doesn't know their parent. Grief is so complex because it's never 
ending necessarily until we see Jesus face to face. Now, just a thought about the children in our life. If if we know grief to be these things, if we know it to be untimely and unexpected and unnatural and very much unruly, then um, I think about those children in our life who don't have fully developed prefrontal cortexes, and I imagine or try to imagine how much more grief impacts them. Just a thought about that, just to consider being compassionate and extra sensitive to the, the children in our life as they're walking through this moment with us as well. I want us to move on to the stages of grief. I know a lot of you are familiar with these, but we're going to review them anyway. Uh, if you've been listening to Bridgetown at all very much over the last month, you've heard John Mark talk about these quite a bit. And I know, for me at least, it's been extremely helpful to hear. Uh, when in a space of grieving, it's really important to take time to identify where you are at on the journey. Now, remember that grief is complex, which means that you can be at different places on the spectrum in different areas of your life. So all that to say, it's important to keep checking in. Also, as I am walking through these, I just invite you to go ahead and map yourself. Um, go ahead and place yourself with where you're kind of at. Maybe it's in one aspect of your life, or maybe it's from that 30,000-foot view. But it may be helpful just in light of the moment and with the grief that you're walking through. So let's get to it. The first stage of grief is denial. And this is when you first learn of a loss. Um, and in that, you think something like, this isn't happening. Uh, it may be feelings of being shocked or numb. Uh, this is a temporary way to deal with the emotions you are experiencing. And really, denial at its core is a defense mechanism. It helps keep us safe until we can process fully what is happening. The next stage is anger. And this is what happens when reality begins to set in and you are faced with the pain of your loss. Uh, this can be a time and space where you feel frustrated and helpless. These feelings usually turn into anger. Anger is just an expression of pain. Uh, now, this might be directed at other people. You might direct it at God or just at life in general. Um, some people are angry even with those who have passed away or other things. This is all natural. Anger is a very a necessary part of the grief process. Uh, third is bargaining. During this stage, you usually dwell on what you could have done to prevent the loss. This is that, that time and space where you think, if only, and what if I had. Uh, and this is the space where you begin to try to maybe negotiate or strike a deal with God about the situation or about what could have happened. Uh, the next stage is depression, and this is usually when sadness uh, sets in and you just begin to process and even understand the loss and its effects on your life. Um, signs of sadness or depression include crying and sleep issues, sometimes a decreased appetite or an over-increased appetite may leave you with feelings of being overwhelmed and regretful, maybe even lonely. And again, this is part of the process, even though it feels very uncomfortable and it's deeply painful. It is part of the acceptance process, uh, which leads us to the final point, acceptance. Uh, in this final stage of grief, you usually accept the reality of your loss. Uh, you accept that your loss can't be changed. And although you feel sad, you're able to start moving forward with your life. It doesn't mean the sadness goes away. It doesn't mean what happened wasn't significant. It just means that you are beginning to move ahead. Uh, 
despite what you have walked through. Now, uh, this cycle, uh, the stages of grief, is a cycle at some level, and it keeps going, which I know is not encouraging. Uh, But it is something to keep in mind as you're walking through multiple dimensions of grief in this current season. Now, I'd like to um, take a second and just quickly list off for you a few examples of different kinds of grief. Now, this may or may not be helpful for you depending on where you're at in the spectrum. Um, These examples of grief are a bit more complex in nature, but they are very much, or I think will be, a part of what we're experiencing and what we will experience in light of this global pandemic. And I offer up these to you really so that you can unpack them more with your therapist or with a good friend. They were helpful for me to name. Uh, just in light of what we're experiencing and helping other people process. So here's a couple types of grief you need to or can consider uh, as we think through this moment as well as other moments in our life. There is anticipatory grief, which is grief you can anticipate. I think about the passing of my grandmother. Uh, We knew she was sick. We had the opportunity to be with her at the end of her life uh, and to spend time talking through what it would mean for her to pass. This was anticipatory grief uh, for me, and that can look different for different people, but that's generally what that means. There's also normal grief, which is what we just talked about. There is delayed grief, so grief that comes later on that hits you usually like a wave at some other point in time, stuff you didn't know you hadn't grieved yet come to surface and you just begin to process that. There's also complicated grief, which is usually connected to trauma or prolonged um, grief, and it makes uh, the grieving process look a bit more topsy-turvy. There's uh, another type of grief called disenfranchised grief, which I actually think is the most helpful right now in light of the moment we're walking in with COVID-19. And this kind of grief is where you incur a loss that is not or cannot be acknowledged, socially sanctioned, or publicly mourned. And I think about my friend who just lost her grandmother and how they they can't actually grieve um, together in a social and public setting what they have lost. And I think there will be many like that in the days ahead. There's also chronic grief, uh, which is ongoing grief, and that exists as well. Cumulative grief or compounded grief, which again, we've talked about uh, today, just a bit about how you can have grief inside grief inside grief. And then finally, masked grief, which is uh, grief that doesn't look necessarily like grief, but exists underneath the surface. Now, again, I offer those to you simply for you to explore on your own time and your own way. They have been helpful to me on my journey over the last 10 years, and I hope they will be helpful for you, especially if you're trying to sort through kind of where you're at or what kind of season of grief you are in. I think this can be helpful on that path. I think uh, C.S. Lewis perfectly articulated what so many of us are feeling even in this moment when he said, for in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always occurs. Round and round, everything repeats. Am I going in circles, or dare I hope I am on a spiral? But if I am, am I going up, or am I going down? How often? Will it be for always? How often will the vast emptiness astonish me like a complete novelty and make me say, I never realized my loss till this moment? Undoubtedly, grief is exhausting, whether consciously acknowledged or not. And the weight of the reality of it that keeps so many of us from actually dealing with it in a healthy way. On that note, I want to take a few minutes and talk about some common responses to grief.
So how do we cope with grief and loss. Now, just as a reminder, all of this can happen at the same time. Uh, They can be overlapping in nature. It's not just one and done kind of situation. Um, So consider that as I'm offering these up to you. Uh, Some of our natural ways that we respond to grief, first and foremost, is that many of us uh, shove it aside. We ignore it, we minimize it, or we rationalize it. Now, that's all one lump statement that I'm trying to make. Uh, Often when we're coping with grief and loss, we like to reframe our situation with statements like, it's no big deal, or it's almost over, or we'll be fine, Uh, which means that you have at some level acknowledged the grief, but you are not willing to actually address it. Um, I recently heard someone say that when you try to rationalize something, you should say to yourself, I'm telling myself rational lies, which I thought was pretty good, Um, which speaks to this specific response to grief. We often like to rationalize, rationalize, to to say rational lies to ourselves in this space. And I think that is fascinating and helpful and honestly convicting. Uh, Next, many of us like to avoid uh, grief and loss. And in that, we're actually not acknowledging or addressing our uh, grief, which is how it differentiates from shoving it aside or minimizing it or ignoring it. In this, we don't even acknowledge that it exists at all. And again, some of us will have to do that uh, for means of survival and sometimes in spaces in our life, but it's best not to do that. Uh, In the avoidance space, we often distract ourselves with things like Netflix or technology or other dramatic situations simply to avoid the present moment. Uh, Another way that people respond to grief is usually through unconscious coping. Um, And this is usually when someone doesn't have the strength or the wherewithal to actually address or acknowledge what's going on. And so they um, unconsciously cope. So they're often medicating with something or they're leaning into spaces of apathy or numbness. They're just trying to make all of the sensations go away. Finally, um, many people move into what we call survival mode when in a space of grief. And again, I want you to think back to the fight, flight, or freeze framework. People operating in those spaces um, uh, will look differently in different seasons and depending on their personality or their type of trauma from the past. But here I want you to think they're more in the mindset of whatever it takes to survive this present grief. I'm from the South, as many of you know. And so for those of us in the South, we often make ourselves busy doing all kinds of things, including throwing parties for uh, different people or making 100 casseroles. There's ways in which we try to survive situations like that. You see that at a funeral in the South very, very uh, clearly. Um, And uh, it's not the healthiest response, but it is a way in which people do respond. Again, in the survival space, people may have an actual trauma response to grief and loss, which means they return at some level to unhealthy habits or past relationships, or they may have outbursts. And again, this is uh, a common response to grief. Now, obviously, this isn't ideal for any of us. In fact, for Apprentices of Jesus, we have a unique invitation and opportunity through identification with the life of our rabbi to become more like him in and through our grief and loss. We at Bridgetown have said it a thousand times, but we believe that our vulnerability, all the brokenness and mess of it, is and can be our greatest access point for transformation and redemption. But it requires a bit of work. 
uh, grief won't heal until it's treated. And emotional healing can't take place until we attend to the losses at hand. Think of it like this. An infected wound um, is going to impact the whole of the body or the whole of whatever part of the body it's infecting until the infection is dealt with. And that is the same for grief and loss. Grief won't heal until it's actually attended to and treated. And the emotional healing necessary for there to be strength again and vibrance and life again um, requires that we have treated the treated the grief at hand. So uh, that uh, doesn't feel great, certainly doesn't feel great in the moment, but it does draw attention to important things, and that's what makes it significant. This work that I'm talking about here is actually the act of embracing grief for the purpose of transformations. Um, Grief and loss really aren't problems until we try to cover it up, which is why it's so important to embrace it. So what does it mean to embrace grief and loss? Well, I think you have to start with the basics. And the first thing I'd say is that you need to identify the grief. Identify what's been lost. Who is losing what? Where does it hurt? What has changed? What will never be the same? Uh, In the space of identifying the grief, it means you're going to have to make time and space to actually name what's being lost, what grief you're experiencing. And this is hard. This isn't an easy thing to do. It's actually the first step you need to take, and yet it's the hardest one I think you can take along the way. But it is essential if you're going to embrace what's actually happening in and around you. Next, I'd say you need to reflect. Um, And really, another way to say that is to really get honest about your emotions. And you do that first and foremost with God, uh, and then you do it with other people. Uh, Friedrich Buchner has this beautiful quote, and he says, Being a good steward of your pain involves being alive to your life. It involves taking the risk of being open, of reaching out, of keeping in touch with the pain as well as the joy of what happens because at no at no time more than at a painful time do we live out of the depths of who we are instead of out of the shallows. And I love that. Buchner is pointing us back to this idea that we have to be in touch with our pain. And that means we've got to be honest about what's happening inside of us. Finally, I'd say that you need to lament or mourn. Uh, some of you are familiar with the concept of lamenting. Western culture is Uh, very much not acquainted with lamenting. But simply put, lament is a prayer to God expressing pain, confusion, and anger while at the same time asking for God to do something about that. And this is an important aspect in reality to grief, to embracing our grief is actually to bring it all before God in an honest way and at the same time to petition Him to do something about it in us or in the situation we're facing, which means if we're going to do this, we're going to have to make time and space to actually grieve. We're going to have to set that time apart to do that. Even this week, I set time aside. I think it was like 10, 15 minutes um, just to turn on some music that, that helped me open up into an emotional space. And I just sat there. I just needed to make give myself 10 or 15 minutes to really start to process some of the emotions, the deep sadness I was feeling. In this space of lament or mourning, it's really a space to honor your pain, to listen to it, 
uh, to look at sadness, to honor the sensation of depression, to honor the, the experience of pain and loss. And in doing these, you are actually going to experience more of life. That's the beauty of lament or mourning. It actually opens up spaces for you to experience beauty and goodness while also experiencing pain. Next, I would say that you need to give yourself time. After you do kind of these three major things, you identify, you reflect, you lament and mourn, then you need to give yourself a little bit of time to accept your feelings. Uh, you got to remember that a grieving is a process. It's going to take time, and it takes a different amount of time for different people. So be patient with yourself. Give yourself time. I know it sounds simple, but again, it's one of the hardest things that we uh, can do, especially in Western culture, is say to ourselves, it's okay. This is just going to take time. Uh, next, I'd say talk to others. So spend some time with friends and family, uh, connecting with them, sharing with them your experiencing, celebrating the, your experiences, celebrating the good things, as well as the hard things. In the space of grief and loss, we often want to isolate ourselves, but there is an invitation for healing that comes through connection with other people. And so this is the space to open yourself up. And you say, well, Bethany, I am in a pandemic. How am I going to do this? There are ways with modern technology to do this, to make time to connect with other people. So again, make sure you're doing this. Give yourself time. Talk to others. And next, I'd say take care of yourself. Um, in grief and loss, one of the first things to go is your personal self-care. It's why your therapists are telling you to do it all the time when you're in a space of healing or grieving. It's take care of yourself. Do good self-care is what my therapist says. And she's right. Um, taking care of yourself actually frees you up to engage with your emotions in the process in a healthier way, which is why they're telling you to do that. So that looks like exercising regularly, eating well, getting enough sleep, staying healthy and finding access points for energy in your life. You know, what ways, what things energize you and make you excited. Again, those things are not going to hijack the grief process. They're only going to increase your ability to lean into it. Uh, next, I'd say return to or get new hobbies. Um, it's important to create new rhythms in your life as you're grieving or moving post-grief. So do activities that bring you joy. I just got a paint-by-numbers thing, and I think it's going to be good. I'm not sure that I'm an artist, but I felt like I really need to begin to do something new. I've never done it before. I mean, I did it when I was a kid, but I've never done it actually before. This is like a beautiful big adult painting. And um, some of you are like, you're cheating. I know but that's who I am. Um, I'm creating this new habit of painting, this new hobby of painting and seeing what God does in that space as I'm in a season of grief and loss. And I'm hopeful about that. So return to or get new hobbies. And then finally, find support. Uh, this is important. There's no shame in it. Uh, there's nothing but goodness in it. Speak to others who are also grieving and having a similar experience to you. It can help you feel more connected to your own pain when you're experiencing it with other people. I think about our lives post this pandemic. And we will all have a lot to say and experience together in the realm of grief as we will have walked through this together as a world, not just a nation. And it will be a very unique moment. Now, I just want to offer one more thought about grief and loss, um, particularly as it pertains um, to your spiritual life or to your spiritual formation. Um, these four just kind of big thoughts that come to my mind in light of it. Uh, in spiritual formation, it's often said that pain is where we meet God and we learn to look for light. 
um, in the spiritual formation realm, there's this invitation to look for light in your life. And that is really just look for where God's presence is. Even in dark spaces, just look. Keep your eyes on the light. Um, and I think this is true. When we think about grief and loss, there's something significant to acknowledging that God meets us in deep ways. And we experience realities and parts of his character that can actually change and transform us um, on brighter days. And this is really significant, even to learn to look for the light in our life. Um, next, I'd say that um, any of this undealt with grief and loss can actually lead us to spiritual plateaus. And this is something we have to be really aware of in the realm of our formation and in our spiritual development. If we don't deal with our grief and loss, we actually are more susceptible to kind of getting into those places of plateaus or those rhythms of hitting a wall and feeling stuck. And so as we then deal with grief and loss, we're actually opened up to move forward in new ways spiritually. And it will feel counterintuitive at the beginning because grief and loss is difficult. But as you move through it, there are new ways in which you're going to encounter God and His Spirit that will be transforming. Fine—not uh, finally, one more, uh, two more. Undealt with grief and loss actually propels— uh, can open us up, make us vulnerable, like I just said, but to sin or to coping, which can usually lead us to more reckless sins. So uh, as you move through grief and loss, you're actually guarded in a way from sin in your life. And there's wisdom in leaning into grief and loss for that reason. Finally, um, a contemplative I know said, soul grows larger in the soul grows larger in suffering. And I think that's a beautiful picture for what we're after, especially in light of this moment and especially in light of the grief and loss we're experiencing. The hope is that our soul would grow larger, that we would experience more about the goodness of the kindness and the realities of God as we work through our grief.